0: Okay, we are going to be continuing on in the series that we have been looking at uh, for a number of weeks now entitled Living the Dream, in which we have been investigating different qualities and attributes and characteristics that God would call us to as we seek to live out that, that life that he would intend for us, uh, the life as a disciple, the life of a follower of Jesus. And in the process of that, we've looked at a number of those qualities already Uh, For example, we've talked about the importance of faithfulness in our lives, of being a people who persevere uh, through the challenging moments. We've talked about the partnership that we share with the Holy Spirit, of uh, the significance of, of keeping our anger in check, of embracing moral integrity even in the midst of a society that often ignores that of being a people of prayer, of, uh, of living out lives where we're good stewards of the time and the talent and the treasure that God has gifted us with. Last week we talked about the importance of resisting uh, that siren's call of society to live lives of mediocrity and rather to pursue a life of excellence that God would desire for us as his people. This morning, we're going to be looking at not so much a particular quality or characteristic as it is a, a part of the destination that awaits us. Why is it that we live out this life as disciples that God has called us to? And, and what it is that awaits us is this, this concept, this idea of eternity. Now, when we think about eternity, uh, for most people, they think about heaven. And for most people, inside and outside of the church... When they think about heaven, sort of that image that leads into that is this comic that we've all seen in one form or another where you've got this individual who's standing there in front of St. Peter, who's got the big book that's open, who's in front of the pearly gates trying to decide whether this person gets into heaven or not. Well, I'll tell you, there is a lot wrong with this particular depiction of what heaven is like or the entrance into heaven. But one of the things that they have right is that there is a book that's there, but it's not the book that most people think it is. Again, inside and outside the church today, most people think that, that in that book is written down every good thing and bad thing that we've done, and if there's just enough good things there uh, that St. Peter will open his arm and the gates of the heaven will part, and the individual will be able to to walk in. but that's not uh, what Scripture tells us happens. Rather, the book that is there is a book called "The Lamb's Book of life. It's described for us in several places, but one such place is the book of Revelations, the 21st chapter, where it's described in this way. Here as we're looking, and it's talking about the new Jerusalem that comes after Christ's return. It says, "...nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life." that's what matters. That's the thing we, we want as our ultimate goal. We want our names written in one of those lines there so that uh, we will be warmly welcomed in uh, by our master. But again, for, for too many people, they think that, that the, the requirement to get into heaven is whether we have done enough good things or not. Uh, the problem is, is that we can never do enough good things uh, because we're human. And in that humanness, we have a a fallen nature. It's described uh, by Paul in the the words of Romans 3 with this. As it's written, there there is no one righteous, not even one. Well, what about Billy Graham? Nope. What about Mother Teresa? Nope. What about Franklin Graham? Nope. What about me or what about you? Nope. There is no one righteous for all. All have sinned. And falls short of the glory of God. And so what we see is really it's, it's not so much a question of, of have we done enough good things. It's how many bad things have we done. Because if there's even one, even one, that's enough to distance us from God. God is pure and holy and righteous. He, he, he desires to be around that. And in our fallen nature, we're separated from that. The thing that unites us, of course, is the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And so the question really becomes not what have we done, but the focus is what has Jesus done on our behalf? He paid the penalty for our sins. His his, uh, life became that sacrifice for us. Or as it's worded in 1 John 2, uh, He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins but also for the sins of the whole world. You know, it would be enough. I think it would be almost a full-time job for Jesus just to try to keep up with my sins. Uh, That would be a lot of work for him to do, but he doesn't just keep up with my past, my present, my future sins. He covers everyone's that's ever lived, that ever will live. He is a remarkable God. And so with that as a, as a proper understanding, why is it that we live in a world where we continue to have this flawed, this, this, this misunderstanding of what eternity holds? What, what's behind that? Well, if I was being pastoral, and if I was sharing with someone with a compassionate and kind and empathetic heart, I would say to them that the reason that we have this flawed understanding is that we've been manipulated and deceived by the evil one. And that's True. Satan is very good at his job. He is the father of lies, um, and he is a master at that. You see, he's not some local yokel who can just spin a a good yarn and convince us to follow his ways. He is a being of, of significant power and influence uh, we know that he was an angel, in fact, an angel of significance in uh, the book of Ezekiel. He's described for us in, in the 38th chapter, but he's also described in the book of Isaiah in the 14th chapter with these words. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star. Uh, morning star in the Hebrew is, is where we get the word Lucifer that we sometimes hear used for Satan. Morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. He had power. You said in your heart, and here it describes for us why Satan was cast out of heaven. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. You see, for, for Satan or Lucifer or whatever name you want to give to him, uh, he wanted to be not just equal with God, he wanted to be above God. And we know that our God is a jealous God, and so he wasn't very receptive to that. And so Satan was cast out of heaven. We're told, in fact, that, uh, that it was probably an accompaniment by a third of the angels that were there. But we also know a few other things uh, about the, the evil one, about uh, Satan, We know that he was shrewd, that he's devious, manipulative, crafty, and scrupulous, deceptive. We know that he is the father of lies and the embodiment of evil, that there's nothing good in him. And we know that his goal, his goal is for this sanctuary to be empty. You see, the fact that you're here is a disappointment to Satan because he would love to have been able to work in your life in such a way that you had never given your heart to Jesus but if he can't do that, then he has a plan B in place, and that plan B is that he takes those of us who have made that decision to become Christ's followers, and he tries to get us to live lives where uh, the, the impact of our existence is insignificant and inconsequential and unproductive uh, as spiritual beings, so that we, we don't influence anyone else to come into a saving relationship with Jesus. He's not a very good guy. And so, again, if people were to ask, oh, why is our understanding of eternity so flawed? I would say it's because we've been manipulated. But if I was being more candid with someone, if I was saying maybe to my sister or to a good friend or maybe a high school buddy and was just being blunt, I would say the reason that we have such a flawed perception is because, well, we're idiots, We're just idiots because God has told us about this for a long, long time, and we just fail to acknowledge it. We fail to hear the words time and time again, verse and verse again. God has warned us what's going to be coming, of the ways that the evil one is going to be at work. We could use any number of passages as references, but let me just cite one found in 2 Timothy the third chapter where it says this. "...that in those last days people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God." having a form of godliness, but in essence really denying its power. And folks, this is a pretty good description. If you look at the newspapers and read the news feeds, this is a pretty good description of 2021. And I suspect it'll probably be apropos for 2022 as it was for 2020. This is the world in which we live. God told us this was coming. God told us to be on our guard. God told us uh, to be uh, weary of, of what awaits, and yet we have ignored that. Imagine, if you would, that you're out on a a country rural road. I was back with my my wife as we were uh, paying uh, honor and respect to her father who passed away. She lives in the middle of a a very um, rural setting in, in Oklahoma, And so there's lots of country roads out in the middle of nowhere. Suppose you're on one of these roads, and it's nighttime. The roads are kind of windy, so you you can't really see what's around the corner. And and you're driving, and suddenly you come around one bend, and there, where you expect there to be a bridge going over a little bit of a, a river or stream, the bridge has been washed out by a flash flood that came through earlier in the day. You didn't know about that, no one else even seemed to be aware of that, and so you slam on the brakes, the car skids, but you can't quite stop in time, and so the, the car slips over the edge, and the, the front of the car ends up in this, this small river. Now, no one's injured, but the car's totaled, so you call the county sheriff, and he comes out, and the insurance adjuster comes, and, and they look at what happened, and they just say, well, that is just a terrible accident. We're sorry that you got involved in this. Now imagine the same scenario. You're driving at night, country road, bridge has been washed out. Uh, but instead of coming right around the corner, uh, about two miles from where this happens, you stop to get some gas. And at the gas station, the attendant there says, hey, I just want to let you know that if you continue on in this road, the bridge is out in, in a couple of miles. Um, it's, you, you can't get through. You do not want to continue down uh, this road. So you pay for the gas, but you continue on. And then a little bit farther, you get there, and and even though it's night, there's this sign that's there. There's this marker. There's these things that tell you don't go out. Bridges, bridges out, and then you decide to go around these, and you continue on. You come around the corner. The bridge isn't there. You go down. That same outcome as before. Now, what are people going to think when you tell them what happened? Well, they're going to think you're an idiot. Because you had been warned, you'd been warned by the gas station attendant, you'd been warned by the big signs, and yet you continued down that path. Well folks, that's how we're living in so many ways in our world today. From almost the very beginning of time, God has warned us what awaits and yet you we've continued on in that path, ignorant uh, or, or, or just rejecting what He had said to us. And so we see that, that even though we've been given this, this description, this, this explanation of, of what is coming, we've, we've chosen to put aside the true understanding of what eternity holds. So what is the true understanding of what awaits us in eternity? As we, as we think about breathing our last here and, and, and breathing our first somewhere else, what is it that awaits? Well, it's pretty much dependent on whether we have a relationship with Jesus or not. Because there's really two different outcomes that could be coming our way, both involving uh, the judgment of God. The first one of those is involving the great white throne of judgment or the great white throne judgment. And, And this is for those who have rejected Jesus, who have turned their back on God and decided to live life on their own. It's described for us, again, in many places, but in the book of Revelations, the 20th chapter, we read of it with these words. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens had fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne. And there were books that were opened. But there was also another book, the book of life. The dead were judged according to what had been done as recorded in the the first books. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, there are uh, uh, two main books that await us. There's some multiple volumes, I think, in, in one of those books, but two main books. There's the Lamb's Book of Life, which we've already spoken about. That's the one where we do want to see our name in big, bold print. But then there's this other book Sometimes it's called the book of deeds. Sometimes it's called the book of judgment. And it's where our lives and what we have done in our lives is written down. The good things and the bad things. Now, for many in our society, they think that the good thing side is really heavy and the bad side of bad side, uh, the, the list is, is pretty sparse, but it's really just the opposite. There's a lot of bad things that we have done in our lives because... We're fallen people. We have that, that fallen nature. And I really think that for most of us, if we just reflect on that for a few moments, that, that becomes real to us. I mean, think about it. Anything that you've done that you've said or you've thought or you've spoken that, that's inappropriate or, or dishonoring to others or, or to God Each time uh, we are outwardly or or inwardly, maybe it's just known to us, where uh, we're impatient or we tell a lie or or maybe we call it a fib or or an exaggeration of the truth, Uh, where we've been proud and haughty or, or verbally or physically abusive, where we've been violent or dishonest, where we've been manipulative or greedy or drunk or envious or bitter or on the list, that could go. We've sinned. We've sinned against others uh, oftentimes, but in every sin, we don't just sin against others. We also, in essence, sin against God. And so the list is long. As I think about my uh, list, I suspect it's not just one volume, but a a multi-volume set that is there for me. And yet it's interesting that, that most people don't view that as descriptive of their lives. They, they think they've lived pretty good lives. I was talking with Tom earlier in the week and he shared with me a statistic that was, was actually staggering to me to hear it. And the statistic is that of a recent survey done uh, just a year ago, only 2% of people think they're going to hell. Only 2%. Now, uh, of the other 98%, not all of them are sure what eternity holds, but only 2% think... They're going to hell. Now, we know that there's really only two options that await, heaven and hell. And so if you don't think you're going to hell, then it could be as much as 98% of people think that they're going to heaven. 98%. But folks, according to God and his word, that's just not accurate. That's, that's just not Correct. Uh, but suppose they believe it, suppose with all of their heart, they're really convinced that they're going to heaven, they're really convinced that that they have, have done good things and that that's going to open the doors for them. Well, folks, as we well know, it's, it's important to be convinced of things, but truth is truth, whether we choose to believe it or not. Uh, I'll show you a picture here, and before I show you, um, I, I, I want to tell you, there were, there were many other far more disturbing images I could have pulled up. But, but this is a woman um, who has anorexia. You can tell by uh, the, the severe weight loss she experiences. What's interesting uh, with this woman is that she is a physician. Uh, she's a British doctor. Um, she's in her 30s. She weighs 70 pounds. Now, she knows in her head as a physician that, that given her height and frame and so forth, she cannot be healthy at that weight. And yet in her heart, She is absolutely convinced that she is obese, that she is fat almost beyond comprehension. She knows it here, but in her heart, she is convinced of that. She believes it with every fiber of her being. Now, does that make it true? Is this woman a fat woman? No, regardless of what she might believe. And even if we think we've done lots of good things in this life, it doesn't make it true. It's described interestingly for us, uh, this, this outcome in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, the seventh chapter with the words of Jesus, where we, we read this. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So what percentage of people are going to get to heaven? I don't know. God doesn't give us a specific detail, but I'm pretty sure it's not 98% or 50%. I don't even think it's 40 or 30%. In fact, I think the image is more kind of like this as to how things are ultimately going to end up. God alone knows that. But based on his words and the description that we're, we're given, there is a lot of folks that are not going to be taking the path uh, toward heaven and God's presence. You see, there's only one way that we can take the right road, and that's not through good works, but by accepting a gift that God gives us. That gift described for us in the book of Ephesians with these words, for it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works. Let me reiterate that, not by works, so that no one can boast folks for those that choose uh, to reject god what eternity holds for them is the uh, the great white throne of judgment but there is another option that's there for those who have given their lives to christ and that is what's referred to as the judgment seat of christ now the good news is for us who have given our lives uh, to jesus we know that our sins are forgiven uh, that's explicitly stated throughout Scripture and in John 5. It says this very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. We have that assurance. We don't have to wonder about it. We don't have to lose sleep over that. We don't have to, to give ponderance or thought to that. We know that with absolute conviction our eternity is set. However, that's not to say that there isn't still a, a critiquing or evaluation, a, a judgment of our life that takes place. In 1 Corinthians 5, it's described in this manner, for we must all appear before we be in the church, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, understand, it's not good works that gets us into heaven. It's that decision to invite Christ into our heart. But the lives that we live do have an impact. It's described in a little bit more detail elsewhere in 1 Corinthians with these words. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one which is already laid, which is Christ Jesus. We know that. He's the bedrock, the foundation. And then he goes on to describe the the kind of works that we uh, live in our lives. Some of those are enduring, uh, they're made of of solid things, some of those are not enduring, and he words it in this way. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, and costly stones, those are the good things, or maybe wood, hay, or straw, those are the things that are not good things. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day, the day of judgment, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And so God's going to look at the lives that we've lived, and he's going to say, did that have eternal significance, or was that mainly just for your own pleasure? Did you live a life that's made up symbolically of gold and silver and these precious stones that withstand the fire? Or, when the testing comes, is it more like hay and stubble that's consumed by these things? If the person, if what has been built survives, then the builder will receive a reward. And I look forward to that. I I hope there's a lot of reward uh, there for me, treasures that I can lay at Christ's feet to enjoy and bask in all of the benefits that heaven has to hold. But if it's burnt up, if we've squandered our lives, if we've been bad stewards of the time and the treasure and the talents that God has given us, then the builder will suffer loss But yet we'll be saved, again, doesn't impact our eternity. We're still going to be in heaven, even though only as one escaping through the flames. And so understand, it makes a difference the kind of lives that we live. If we live ones in which we're focused on Christ, if we live ones in which our our desire is to fulfill his will, if we live ones in which we we live out that, that purpose statement that we have as a church to glorify God by becoming disciples who know and live God's will. If we live that out, uh, folks, then then this judgment scene of Christ is going to be a wonderful experience for us because the flames will come and and after everything is is burnt over, we'll have these jewels and this gold and silver that will await, that will open the the doors of splendor uh, for us in heaven. But if we don't, if we just uh, sort of Uh, give a passing reference to God. Oh, we believe in him. He's in our heart. Uh, But most of our lives is spent living the kind of life we want to live, doing the things we want to do when we want to do. There's consequences to that. And we need to be mindful of that, even as as Christ followers. And so what we see is that as we move toward eternity, as we think about living out uh, this life that God has called us to, that what eternity holds is is ultimately up to us. Uh, We get to to decide that based on the kind of lives that we live. Now, we know that there's going to be an eternal judgment for all of us, Hebrews 9, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, there comes judgment for each one of us, which direction that judgment goes or what that opens for us uh, really is based on the decisions we make in this existence you see, there's only two choices that are there for us. It's either heaven or hell. There isn't a purgatory. We don't get to move to this place where, where we can spend uh, upcoming years kind of working out the, the places that we stumbled or fell short in this life. There isn't reincarnation where we get to, in the next life, improve on what happened or in the next lives or, or, or many lives after that. There's only one life. It's the life that we're living right now. And the decisions that we make in this life have an impact not only in our earthly existence, but in our eternal existence as well. And so we need to choose. If we choose wisely, if we choose appropriately, then we get to experience paradise. If we choose poorly, then we spend eternity in that place described as as the dwelling of those who experience crying and the gnashing of teeth. In the book of Romans, in the 6th chapter, the 23rd verse, we read this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. May we choose life. May we avoid eternal death. And may we do that by choosing wisely, appropriately, uh, to be followers of Jesus. Not just a little bit but with all of our heart and with all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength this day and every day. Amen.